Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Danny? No, nothing. I don't I don't okay. even know. You didn't even give me a chance to respond to that. I you know this is this is why nobody ever gives me the soundboard anymore. Yeah, I can I, there's there's reasons. Well, but we're not alone. We also have Blazer's Edge editor Steve DeWall joining us today. Steve, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm enjoying festive eggnog and bourbon drinks and Christmas lights and Mariah Carey. So it's it's good. Christmas is here. Sounds like you're all warmed up and ready to roll. Yeah. Yep. You I'm, have I, your, your Tory Craig picket fence sign oh, ready yep. to go? He's he's my plus one to the Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza Christmas party this year. So I feel yes. pretty good about that choice. Okay, we'll get to Tori in a minute. Let's talk about the fact that it is December 15th, which will go down in history as the day that Mario Hazonia went to his first NFL game. Have you guys been following that on Twitter? How could you not? <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. The, he is enjoying every last second of it, and it's fantastic. The best part is that the Browns lost, and CJ sitting there like, are you kidding me? Not again. Well, it's like... <laughs> Best, depending on who, whose uh, vantage point you're looking at it from. But Mario Hazonia certainly has seemed to have had a very good time. And God bless CJ for sticking with that team. Uh, because God knows that we can relate, right? <laughs> That's not that bad. Let's come on now. <laughs> I know. But so when you have high expectations going into a year, and then when it's they're not panning out, you got to readjust your expectations. And we've done that a couple of times already this year on the podcast. We've talked about our expectations and how they've uh, changed as the injuries pile up. One of the things that has happened most recently is that the Blazers have applied for a disabled player exception. So it's by under understanding that the way that works is that it's um it's it's a set figure like 2.8 million dollars that can only be used to bring in a player for the remainder of the year so they can't like use it to trade for somebody who's going to be around for a long time it's just somebody to cover through the rest of this year do i have that right for the most part, yes. Like the, the only like differentiations in there are like the, the you probably just need the harder qualifications in that the they they could trade for somebody, but it ha- this has to be the last year of their deal. Correct. So they could so, they could either trade or they can just use it to sign someone who's a, a free agent. Correct. correct. And the same thing is true of waivers. If there's a t- player that is waived but still has years left on his deal, it can only he can only have one year. This has to be the final year of his deal. So that's that's the main qualification behind it all. Okay. So, um, Steve, you recently wrote a post about uh, some moderate moves that the Blazers might be able to make after the uh, trade deadline. And now we know this news. Uh, You want to walk us through some of the options? And I'm not sure if all of the ones that you mentioned could qualify under this disabled player exceptions, but maybe you could run that down for us. Yeah, only so my my mindset behind this that post was that I mean obviously the primary focus with the Blazers are kind of the center of the NBA trade universe given their contracts and kind of their underachieving record and the and their needs everybody's focused on you know the Kevin Love Blake Griffin type talk and really if we look at Neil O'Shea's track record in Portland he's always kind of targeted guys who might be on their rookie deal that are in a bad situation or or being underutilized and he targeted like that's a Maurice Harkless type guy, a Scalabissier are the two examples I use, where he kind of targets and goes after those guys and they're on controlled contracts. So they're still on their rookie deal. They they go into restricted free agency. So it gives a team like Portland and on the smaller market a lot more flexibility and build their roster. And really if Portland does get to a point where they put a first round pick on the table in a bigger trade it's going to be really crucial that they make those type of fringe moves to keep guys on salary to build your roster and fill it out. Um, 
That being said, the three guys I talked about, um, only two of the three, or only one of the three would qualify for the disabled player exception, which would be Torrey Craig, which the Blazers just played. He plays for the Nuggets. He's a defensive specialist. He routinely uh, gets the assignment to guard Damian Lillard. Um, He's on the final year of his deal. He makes $2 million. Um, He's kind of the odd man out right now in the rotation in, in Denver. I think he's had single digit minute totals and I think four out of his last six games. So that the, the nuggets are definitely pivoting towards getting Michael Porter jr. More minutes. And then that puts him behind Will Barton, Gary Harris and, and Michael Porter jr. Now. So really he, he's a guy I think that he could be acquired for a relatively reasonable price and, Portland has a history of working deals with Denver. Um, Neil Shea does. So that's kind of what led me to that. But the other two guys I mentioned was DJ Wilson, who was a first-round pick, uh, selected seven picks after Zach Collins in the 2017 NBA draft. Um, Just kind of in a weird spot in in Milwaukee. Uh, Budenholzer really likes Ursan Ilyasova. Which makes no sense. it, I think it just comes down to like floor spacing and like really there's a lot of some things that Wilson does to a much lesser degree that Giannis Antetokounmpo does. And it really doesn't make sense for both those guys to be in the lineup at the same time. So he's a guy I, I think maybe if Portland can find a way to get him, it'd probably take a third team because I, I think from what I've heard and, and kind of how Milwaukee's operated is they're probably going to want to be active in the buyout market in a couple months and looking for veterans. I mean, cause they're on a title run. And so if we, that, that could open up the window for him to be available. And then the last player I mentioned was Justin Jackson, which if I'm going to write a trade bus about modest trade pieces, I'm going to write about Justin Jackson ever since the Blazers called his name in 2017. He's someone who <laughs> I, I I've, could have been ours. I, I mean, Terry, you've sat with me at summer leagues and watched him play and just, you know, I, I routinely say that. So he's another guy, just a floor spacer. But these aren't like, you know, the season-saving moves or, you know, these big-time moves, but they're smart moves that Portland's going to have to make, especially if they start talking about putting draft assets in bigger trades. And they're all young players, too. So they're all guys who came in at the same time as Zach Collins. So it's not, you know, the the veteran. We The Blazers have... Uh, veterans up and down the roster at this point these are uh guys that you would expect possibly to build around in the future yeah i mean tory craig would be the oldest of the group he's 28 um justin jackson is 24 and i believe dj wilson is 23 so most of them are young okay, uh, tory craig kind of had old. yeah he had kind of an unorthodox path to the league so he's he's a little bit up there in mileage Right. Well, he fits in with a lot of the Blazers, I guess, then, in that way. Dan, do you have thoughts on those guys? I mean, I, I do, but I think the general idea that Steve's getting at here is the Blazers need reinforcements with size, length, athleticism, and, and multi-positional skill sets. That's something that's drastically evident right now as we look at this team. Everybody wonders why they can't get a stop or why the offense doesn't look right or this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, you again, we're back to – what we thought would be non-siloed players are now back to siloed players where Melo needs the ball. Hassan needs somebody to feed him on a pick and roll. Like those, There's so many issues within this team. They need more guys who have roles that they can uh, fill easily. Like with something that's going to stick out to me for a long time, probably for as long as I cover this team, is that the Blazers legitimately had Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver playing center. And it was because of the the holes and the gaps and the lack of size up and down the roster and the injuries. And obviously the injuries played the biggest part of that, but um, having guys with, with length and like who's the shortest guy in that group, Steve. Uh, it'd be Craig, but uh, that's at six, six and he plays shooting <laughs> garden, small forwards. So, yeah. And like, that's what I mean. Like, six, six is that's like Portland's power forward right now. <laughs> they're, they're throwing out six, one, six, three and six, four at the one, two and three. Um, you got Jackson who's six eight. DJ's what six nine, six ten, six ten, and he's yeah. got a seven three wingspan. Yeah, so you, you, these guys are they're significantly larger, cover more ground. They're a little bit more rangy, and, and I'm not I'm not trying to drag this out from the dead, but 
there was a certain impact that Aminio and Harkless had and just by range and size and how much ground they could cover. Portland is short on those kind of guys right now. Um, and they do need to replenish those. And everybody's going to talk about what Portland's going to do with the Bazemore contract and what they're going to do with the white side contract and, and filling those things out. And while some people are still looking at this season as like some sort of like redemptive arc, these side moves are not about this season. They're about the complementary pieces that Portland's going to need to reinforce the top of the lineup, which we're seeing right now, how thin things were behind the starters. And it's not, it's not necessarily a knock on the guys that are stepping into those places, but you're, you're talking about like losing, losing Zach Collins was enough to like drop this team down like 10, 12 wins because they had nothing behind him. And that's, that's a scary proposition. And now that'll happen anytime when you talk about a star, like Damian Lillard goes down, or Steph Curry goes down, or James Harden goes down, or Giannis, or LeBron. If those guys go down, yeah, your season should get derailed. If your fourth, fifth guy goes down, you should struggle. You shouldn't get derailed. And that just kind of shows you where things are sitting right now. And these, these are the kind of moves that Portland really, really, really needs to consider. Not necessarily these exact ones, I, although I don't, I don't really mind any of these. I think they all make sense. It's all about what what the conversation is. But these are the. Uh, tell me if you agree or not here, Steve. Th- these moves are going to happen after Portland makes the the first real move with like the white side contract. Yeah, I think you have to kind of see what what assets are involved in, in the bigger trade because I mean I'm really Portland. I think and I think this is a topic we'll probably cover a little later, but. Just from how the roster is constructed, Portland cannot just let Whiteside expire and have him leave. Like they need to do something with that money to get in a guy who has years. And I mean, this is what Dwight James is talking about. This is what Casey Holdall is talking about. Or when he retweets James's piece, is like they need somebody that has years on there because how they're paying Dame and CJ really just ties them up to, to not really be able to go out and get a third piece in free agency, even if they, and Portland really doesn't have a history of doing that in free agency anyway. So it's crucial that they make that trade. And that's, and if they do that and they make a big trade that involves a draft pick, you really need to make sure you're going out and getting guys on competitive contracts. Otherwise you're, you're sifting through, you know, the bargain deals and you're competing with, you know, other teams for guys on minimum contracts and veterans on minimum contracts. And that's how you kind of end up with guys like Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver, you know, playing. I mean, they're, you know, one injury away from a significant role on your team. I want to back up about something that you brought up. And there has been a long time storyline about how the Blazers can't get players in free agency and I know that historically the that has been true last summer or even before that we have started to see players who were once offered contracts by the Blazers who turned them down who are now coming back uh, either as free agents or you know happy to be traded here with the uh leadership that Damian Lillard has shown and also now with uh, players looking around and seeing how Portland has um, welcomed Carmelo Anthony. I don't know that Blazers can yet bet on Portland being a free agent destination, but do you think it's possible that it could be less, that could be less of an issue than it has been in the past? I, I think for like there, I think there's a tier of players that Portland might have more access to. Like, I don't think that's the star level. Um, I, I think just from Oregon, from a tax standpoint, I think is not very attractive to a lot of players. Mm-hmm. I think, I think some of the demographics in Portland can be daunting to certain players until they've actually lived here. Um, but I, I think, I mean, giving a very, I mean, both two desperate parties signing Carmelo Anthony is one thing. And yes, I think that is, Good, And I think the one thing that does work in Portland's favor, and it's been a storyline that's been brought up in the NBA is, and Adam Silver's expressed concern about it is like players, when they do these surveys are saying, you know, they're very unhappy in a lot of situations they are. And I don't know if that's the social media era that we're in and, you know, everybody's seeing how everybody else is interacting. They're just never satisfied with where they are, where it's like Portland's culture has kind of run counter to that. And like really I think there's probably a lot of teams that would be completely ripped apart right now if they were going through what the Blazers are going through right now. So 
I, I think there there are certain guys where if it's a 50-50 decision, Portland in a situation where they might lose out on that player or over, have to drastically overpay for that player, they might be able to pick them up at a competitive rate. But I don't think Portland is all of a sudden going to become this massive destination. I mean, the guys that have come here are guys – I mean, Cantor was you know, not playing – in in new york and that saw an opportunity to play for a contender uh you know rodney hood had to get traded here to actually kind of you know buy into the system once he was here so and i think that does travel around the league but i just don't think i don't think that portland's there yet and i think there's a lot of factors that kind of hinder them in the open market especially against some other teams yeah, I'm in the same boat. I still don't think that changes. And again, the biggest prohibitive is obviously the demographics and, and taxes. Um, as much as everybody sits here and says oh, nice things about, hey, they signed Carmelo, da, 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 they also look at the team right now and go, yeah, for all that goodwill and everything, like things aren't going too well for them right now. And whether that's fair or not, that's something that people talk about. Um, I, I don't think it's going to get that much better but honestly i think one of the bigger things here um more than anything else is um something portland didn't really control and that's uh who yusuf nurkic signed as an agent mm. yusuf nurkic is yeah nurks with clutch now he's he's rich paul that's lebron james and if the Blazers take care of Yusuf Nurkic and his guys and his contract and those th- kind of things, that probably greases the wheels a little bit at clutch. And maybe if there's a clutch client um, that becomes a free agent, maybe perhaps Portland becomes a destination in that sense. More than anything, outside of the players, I would say the largest impact are what, what agents have to say and what relationships they have right now. Um and if you get a positive relationship, like take a look at who Portland signed and dealt with over the last seven years. They're Mark Bartlesing clients. Yeah. And, so, and how they handle the Jake Lehman situation is, you know, textbook yeah. example of, of building huh. goodwill. Well, and so I want to uh, interject here. The thing that I like, I get the white side discussion that we've just had. I worry about some of the non-basketball implications if the Blazers were to trade Kent Bazemore, and maybe this is just my, like, you know, soft and squishy heart, <laughs> but the, the you know, the media, the storylines, the team has talked so much about Kent Bazemore and his family coming here and being so happy here and, you know, being able to, like... Um, you know, come out of a situation that wasn't working anymore in Atlanta. Uh, there's a, a lot of goodwill for his family here in the Pacific Northwest. And I wonder how, I mean, everybody knew he was traded on the, you know, at the in the last year of his contract. So it's possible that things could change. But, you know, do you think that trading Kent Bazemore halfway through the season could somehow, you know, uh, make people some look somewhat unfavorably on Portland like wow they moved the guy and then just moved him on even though he said he was so happy there who are we talking about making him happy are we talking about fans or are we talking about players well I, think, I, mean, I think that's I'm the talking question about him so you think I mean I think he if he if he gets traded well here's the thing if he gets traded there's a likelihood that he was told that upon the deal being you know put through Mm -hmm. when he was swapped for for Evan. Um, A lot of these deals aren't done without talking to the players first. Right. So he brought in and said, you know, we got a lot going on. You are in the last year of your contract, so it's entirely possible that you could be moved in the second half of the season. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, that's what happened to Rodney Hood when he went to Cleveland. And I guess it's because of the the narratives that both of those guys that have been pushed about them and their families and moving their families. Like with Rodney Hood, he didn't move his family out here originally because they'd had to move in the middle of the year, you know, with Cleveland. The year previous, yep. And, you know, I'm just looking at it from the point of view. I'm still kind of stuck on the, hey, maybe Portland isn't always going to be a place that's not considered a great destination, at least while people have Damian Lillard here. When people want to come to play with Damian Lillard, 
you know, maybe they are okay with the rest of the stuff because it's not for the rest of their life. But it's, you know, the opportunity to play with somebody like him and to play with a team with a locker room full of guys that are keeping it together during this period, which could really uh, be tough on a lot of locker rooms. I, I think one thing I want to touch on, though, is like, if you're a player in Baysmore situation where you've been in the league for a while, you came up as an undrafted player and you've you've seen, you know, every tier of the of the NBA hierarchy. If you're a guy, a veteran that, you know, probably isn't living up to his contract figure, I mean, that's no fault of his own. I mean, you sign that deal, but if you're on an expiring deal for nineteen million dollars and you don't expect a trade or a trade is you don't think a trade's a possibility, that's on you. Like that's you should know that. <laughs> right. like, the, that. The only guys that doesn't happen to are the you know the top ten guys in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and, that's, and that's basically that's the deal. Fair. That's fair. And really, it's like and the Rodney Hood thing is a great story, and I think it's something that I mentioned right after his injury happened. Like I am super leery of like as a fan yes i want players to take discounts and stay in portland but like if a guy is only on his rookie deal and he's turning down a lot of money like as a fan of of these guys and and what they're trying to do and their their earning potential at this age like i do not root for guys to take discounts if they have not been paid previously like especially if it's significant like if it's you know a matter of a few million dollars or very close then yeah I, I would love them to stay in Portland, but these guys got to go. They have to maximize their earning potential while they're, while they're still young. Get so the that's, bag. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember if uh, last year on December 15th, there was a Woj and Zach Lowe special? Is that yeah, new no, this there, year? No, there was. It, it, But it was, again, it focused, I think, on the, the Blazers weren't really involved in that at that point in time. Um, so we weren't paying so, as much attention. Yeah, and it it kind of fizzled. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a whole lot in it. Um, obviously, this one, excuse me, the main focus for Portland was, surprise, surprise, Kevin Love. Okay, so how likely do y'all really think that is going to happen? Because <laughs> I've said, I mean, so here's what I've said. I've said if Kevin Love comes to Portland, I will welcome him because he will be a blazer. And I am not going to complain. I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that he feels like he is welcome by the fan base to this organization. But I just don't think that's going to happen. And only for the reason that how often do the Blazers do the thing that everybody thinks that they're going to do? Um... I mean, not two years later. Like, <laughs> I say fairly, fair, fairly often though, as far as um, when they really signal it. Well, they were going to get Hassan Whiteside in 2016, and they got him in 2019. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, I just here's the thing: it's it. This is this is Wojan Low, not you know Joe and Schmo. Yeah, that they're they're the two most plugged in people to Neil O'Shea they have that that exist in the NBA. Um, so they're not, they're not saying that for nothing. Could it be all part of a smoke screen? Certainly. I hope so. <laughs> but from everything I've gathered and everything I understand, the likelihood of a deal for any particular person seems to fall on Kevin Love the most. There's certainly other guys that are out there. Um, and the one thing that remains the same, Kevin Love's injury concerns are a problem. And for everybody else out there, like, wondering what the situation is in Cleveland. Kevin Love has been trying to force his way out for a year. I mean, and it's how become much his injuries last season were just like we're trying to shut things down. I mean, he it's it's not just the fact that it's like a injury. It's multiple different versions of injuries. That's the problem. Like it's his back, it's his shoulder, it's his ankle, it's his, you know, it like there's there's a litany of injuries. Uh, and the same is true of Blake Griffin. And if anything, I think the Blazers probably a little more reticent to commit anything to anybody right now, particularly with how bad their injury luck has been. Right. And Neil Olshay recently did say, I think it was with his with his uh, Jason Quick wrote about the Q&A and his um, Mm -hmm. on on the athletic, you know, Neil Olshay said that, you know, they were going to basically stay the course. They weren't going to do anything 
super dramatic. Of course, I always like whatever he says, I always think the opposite is probably what's going to happen. Because <laughs> every time he says it's going to be quiet, something big happens. Every time he says they're going to be splashy, nothing happens. There's um, nothing to gain from saying that they're going to make a trade. Mm-hmm. And like, like he, he like, that same signing thing Kevin he said, Love, does, is that, is that keeping them? Is that what they plan? You know, like, uh, are, was that going to be the plan at the beginning of the year anyway? And uh, I believe injuries so. haven't changed that. Is that kind of what you're going getting at? Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think it's the same. And like in that same article, Neil Olshay said his starting lineup next year, if, if it's Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, and Yusuf Nurkic, just like he planned it. Well, here's the thing. Rodney Hood's not going to be in this. Well, okay, what? I can tell you what. Rodney Hood's not going to be in that starting lineup next year anyways. Mm-hmm. So like, how, much do, how much can you believe of that? Uh, it's 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 GM speak. He's not, he shouldn't say anything else. He shouldn't be like, yeah, no, we're gonna be extra aggressive at the trade deadline. Da, da, da. That that just puts you puts that puts pressure on you to get a deal done, and now other teams are gonna try to drive the the price up because of public perception. Steve, do you think going after Kevin Love falls in line with the Blazers sticking with the plan? No, I, I think the the plan was when they when they consolidated the contracts into Whiteside's deal. It was. I think it was a clear signal that they were going to make a move for a player that had years left on their contract, mm-hmm. and and really like getting to the the signaling point of this and and the the messaging that's coming out. Like the last time I was on here, and it's just something that Dan talks about all the time is the appearance of desperation, and as a, Portland cannot come in and be like, we really need this guy. Like, <laughs> because also in the athletic, Jason, Jason Lloyd, who's a Cleveland based reporter. He had an article basically like Cleveland has really had a rude awakening to what the trade market is for Kevin Love. Like they yeah. were asking for a first round pick and, and teams are asking for a first round pick from them, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, I really hope at some point Memphis and Cleveland start having a conversation about trades and there's just a huge confusion on who's giving up a first round pick because, because <laughs> <laughs> Memphis is real good at that. Yeah. So, Oh my God. So, I thought it was your first round pick. I thought it was yeah. your first round pick. Which first yeah. round pick are we talking which, about? Oh my God. Brooks- Meanwhile, somewhere Hollinger is like, you son of a. <laughs> yeah. And Brooks, so- Dylan Brooks and the other Brooks are out there laughing. Oh my God. That's so funny. But Don't those two guys pop a bottle of champagne once a year on that date. Oh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite trade stories. Oh but- my gosh. Yeah. But I think, I think Cleveland, Cleveland is having a rude awakening with, you know, it's getting to what Dan's saying. The injury history is very real for Kevin Love. The length of his contract is a serious problem. <laughs> like for for teams, especially if you're going to be giving up a first round pick. And so I, I think Portland probably they have to say the stay the course message because that market for Kevin Love has to be driven down. And if you're looking at his behavior right now in Cleveland between him and Tristan Thompson, it is very clear. Like those guys are like like uh, Tristan Thompson, especially like they're, they're bordering on probably getting asked to go, Hey, why don't you don't not show up at the facility today? Yeah. <laughs> so like they're, they're, I thought there's Tristan a clear Thompson is supporting the coach. I thought he he's suppo- the only he's, one supporting, he's supporting the coach. No, he's supporting the coach in a sense, but the, uh, let, let me just go ahead and kind of frame this up. So everybody who, who doesn't know, knows the, the, there are some of the young guys who definitely are against beeline. But there are also some veterans that are against some of the young guys. And there's this friction that's kind of going on between I mean, you can see the meltdown between Tristan Thompson yelling at Beeline to yell to tell Sexton to pass the damn ball. Mm-hmm. Um, Love is just trying to like get somebody to pass him the ball. No, 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 no. <laughs> he's the one who's standing in the three standing yeah. in the defensive yeah. in the key with his hand. Like up. he's or, he's Chris Pauling himself. Yeah. Like he's like yeah. looking at the ref saying, he's Look, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. So. It's on me. Yeah. And the love is doing this. He was doing it subtly. Like it was it wasn't like full on mutiny or subterfuge. Then he was kind of linked to the article that was that came out from the athletic in Cleveland where he was one of the guys that was bashing beeline. Now I, I've got it on good authority that Tristan Thompson wants to stay in Cleveland long-term. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Tristan's trying to both be good soldier and friend of love, but also at the same time kind of not ruffle too many feathers. So to- love, love wants out. Okay. That, that's the, that's the bottom line. Love wants out, but he also saw how badly AD got portrayed. Mm-hmm. 
Well, in, in straight demand. So to, to wrap wrap this part of the conversation up, um, even with the injury concerns, um, you kind of asked me a similar question of a few weeks ago, Dan. Like, when is the point where the Blazers are going to be like, we have to make a move now? Like, do they wait all the way up until the trade deadline? Is there a situation like I'm looking at the games that they have coming up? Phoenix, Golden State, Orlando, Minnesota, and New Orleans. And I kind of feel like if they do bad in that stretch, they're going to have to do something just to keep their sanity for the rest of the year. Um, but when do you think, since you think that this big trade is going to happen, when do you think it's most likely to occur? Um, I think if if I had to pick a date, it's when they get back from that five-game road trip at the turn of the new year. They go on the road to at New York, at right. Washington, Miami, Toronto, Minnesota. New Year's Day in New York in an early game. Yeah. That's so mean. Okay, let's say that on that trip, they go two and three or one and four. Which, I mean, the Wizards don't play any damn defense, but they score 150 a night. Like, that's, that's not going to be an easy game to win. Then you've got the Heat, who... Holy crap, are they playing well? Um, Toronto, yeah, that went well for Portland last time. And then the Timberwolves, and they, they feature a, a team in Cat. You know, we'll, we'll get to see Portland play up against them, what, next week for the first time? Cat's going to be a tough guy to stop. <laughs> so uh, if they if they get throttled on that trip and then come home, the first game back is against the Bucks. I guess a, uh, a question more that would, a different question would be like, why would they do it sooner rather than later? Or why would they do it later rather than sooner? Like why, I, if, if they're going to make this move, why would they wait? Is it because they're trying to like get leverage. Cleveland? Okay. Yeah. You yeah, gotta I see, think, you'd have to see how the market gets set. Yeah. It, it's entirely leverage. And I think for me, like the, the thing I'm watching for is, and not necessarily for Portland. I don't want to make Dan's head explode, <laughs> but like the guy I'm watching is Andre Iguodala. Oh, like, I think that's, I think that's the guy who could set the, like, you're going to get a better idea of what the trade market could look like depending on how he's pursued and how far, you know, the, how much the Grizzlies are willing to entertain if it's not a first round offering, or if they do get a first round offering from someone like, I think that's going to be a big indicator on how the market's going to get set for the rest of the trade season. Someone yeah, else, it, not Portland, right? Cause I've correct, seen correct, people yeah. talk about him coming to Portland and what I, I can't figure out like, what would be the point? There's, of that? No, there's no world where that is a, is a good idea for Portland to give up assets for Iguodala, even if it included Tra- Crowder. It's just, it's not a, it's not a good idea for them. Mm-hmm. It, but I, it's actually, I think it's, it's good that you brought up Iguodala because he's a guy I think probably gets moved last. I think that's, that's a guy that Memphis holds on to up until the very last second to see what they can pry from any of those competing teams. So yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, Steve, well, no, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at though. It's like, I think Iguodala is important to watch to see how the market gets set. Yeah. Like, is someone going to come after him and is Memphis going to entertain it? Cause I think teams will still call about him, but they're not going to give him up what they want because they're going to dare Memphis to buy him out or release him mm-hmm. and because that's how teams want to pursue him. So if some team does offer up a trade package for him, that's going to be a huge indicator for how the rest of the, the trades are going to roll out for the rest of the trade season is what I'm getting at. Like, yeah, I, I'm not saying, he's, yeah. I'm not saying he's one of the first ones to come. Like I think if You're someone does activity. offer, it, yeah, what, what the level of interest is there. And okay. like, if he does come off the board early, you're looking at a very unfriendly trade market for the Blazers. Yes. That, that that's, I think that's very poignant. And say that again, if, if he gets um, traded early, sorry, that, that means, that means buyers are like sellers are getting rewarded. And right now, Portland being a, a theoretical buyer, if sellers are, if the market's skewed towards sellers, like that is not a good sign for Portland for the rest of the trade season, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And here's the thing like everybody worried about are putting together trade packages that include Simons and Collins going out for anybody less than Paul George or Giannis, just stop. Mm-hmm. Like the Blazers, okay, the, the, the guys that, that are being called on or that are asked to be uh, included in packages right now in no particular order are CJ Simons, Collins, and Nurkic. 
of those guys, the most likely in my mind to be traded is CJ. I, I don't think Portland, I, I would put it at CJ, at Collins, then Simons, then Nurkic. I, I think Nurkic is probably, the outside of Dame, the least likely guy to be traded on this team. And it's because it, his, his skill set is so perfect with Dame, but also it's elevated even more because of how good his contract is. So, um, I, Portland, I think the most they will give up for a love type ends up being the white side deal. Maybe, maybe that first round pick or Nasir Little. Like, I, I don't think it's going to be much more than that. And, and that pick would probably most likely be protected, is what I would assume. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like, that's why they're trying to drive that market down for him. Uh, as good as Kevin Love is as a player, he's still a very big, big deal money-wise. And it has a lot of years remaining. I mean, look at what the Clippers got for Blake Griffin. Was that a haul? I I don't think so. No. They they had instant buyer's remorse with that Supermax. Yeah, and and you're talking about Blake Griffin, who is younger, and even though he has obviously the history of, of, of knee injuries, was a significantly higher level contributor and younger. And so all of a sudden you're looking at Kevin Love, who's much in the same position, although not quite as much money, but it's the same level, I think, of like, what's it going to cost to move this deal? Yeah, I don't I don't think the return is going to be that great. Well, I'm I'm if you guys are ready, I'm ready to move uh, from <laughs> hypotheticals to actual basketball that we have been watching and games that we have coming up. I don't know how much battery I have left on my laptop right now, so Woo-hoo! I feel like we should go ahead and move on. Any last words on the trades? I I think it's going to be I think we're going to have to wait for someone to to break the dam and get this thing rolling. Like I think it I think once it happens, a lot's going to happen all at once. I know that's an easy thing to say, but like it could, there's just because it's December 15th, I, I don't think we can, like, I don't think you should just bank on there being a bunch of trades right away. I, like, I need Morian Griffin. I was saying, I need, I need Morian Griffin to start getting busy. Mm-hmm. I, that's, that's what we need here. Wheelers and dealers to go ahead and break the seal and get it going. And, and really just going back to like you brought it up earlier, Tara, is like, I think one of the reasons why there was like the Woj low show got a lot more coverage this year and people have talked a lot more just because there was so much changeover last summer that all these guys are finally trade eligible which mm-hmm. usually we don't see so now it's like you you just have a massive slump or a, a huge group of guys that are now available for trade that was a freudian slip there huh massive slump yeah, yeah i know <laughs> that year that season all right well it sounds like y'all are ready to move on mm-hmm. um so I have been watching Hassan Whiteside and it mm-hmm. looks to me like he seems like he's getting maybe more comfortable, maybe more used to Damian Lord or more, maybe Damian Lord is getting more comfortable to him. Um, I'm seeing more successful pick and rolls. Um, I don't know why Hassan doesn't go all the way to the hoop. He has to stop and toss it in, but they're going in. So I'm not going to complain. What do you guys have? You guys seen any change in his apparent comfort level, or you, how things are going with him lately? Yeah, he's been a bit better um, in the pick and roll, particularly like actually rolling. Mm-hmm. Like it's that's like a that's like a crucial part of that, and it's like a weird roll because it's like a lot. Like he doesn't charge it's a short ahead. Roll. Yeah, no, it's a short roll he's that like he either pulls even up for that with, little floater. Sometimes even slightly behind. But he's but he's going but he's doing it. Yeah, and like his effectiveness is is pretty decent, which again I think again leads to like the frustration of people in that it's like, yeah, you're good at this. How about you do it harder and more frequently, dude? Um because if you look at his like points per possession as a role man, he's in like the top like five percent, I think, last time I checked. He's almost at like one point two points per possession, which is really good especially when you're talking about a guy where like literally a third of his possessions come out of the pick and rolls, the roll man. And it's like, can we just like do this more frequently, like with more effort? And I think we're, and I think that was my feeling more towards the beginning of the season. And now I'm just like, okay, that's good. Now a little bit more, now a little bit more. And I think part of it has to do with health, but I think the other part of it is, is like <sighs> the Portland's offense right now 
because of the injuries, because of the integrating new guys, but there's so many different things on so many different levels. The offense just looks stupidly clunky. Like it just looks really bad. And the, the saving grace is that you have Damian Lillard pick and roll maestro, who by the way, leads the league in pick and roll points out of, out, as the ball handler. Um, it's just, it's, it's, I think it's but nice to see not Whiteside. scoring as much as he was at the beginning no, of the season. He's but still second or third in total possessions in the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And he leads the league in points per possession in pick and roll or in all. Yes. Okay. in pick and roll, pick and roll. And he's second. No, excuse me. He's first in isolation points per possession. And he's behind, uh, I think he's, fourth or fifth in total isolations. So Damian Lillard still God tier. And all of a sudden you get certain getting some contributions from Hassan Whiteside. And I think it helps a little bit, but here's the, like the quote unquote problem. And this is like what I call it. The, you know, this, this is why Yusuf Nurkic is so important. When Whiteside catches on the roll, it's going up. And so, so you aren't necessarily getting defensive rotations, or you're getting defensive rotations where um, they just close out on him because they know that yeah, you're shooting a, it. Yeah, and you and you don't have you know somebody collapse, coming in. Yeah, they don't, you don't have somebody coming in from the weak side to to, to rebound because they're trying to stretch, step out and stretch the floor, or they're they're smaller. So, like, if Nas is on the floor, sure, you know you've got maybe some offensive rebound help, and, and you can clean some of those things up, and you can see how. Portland struggles as a rebounding team. He's even on these uh, longer shots from their bigs. There's not a lot of size around to rebound, you know, longer rebounds. So it, there's a lot of different things that are going on, but I would say that Whiteside's certainly doing better and his numbers look pretty damn decent. Like he's shooting 62%. Uh, I, mean, I feel a, like he's making an impact on the game. Like they're still not necessarily winning. They just don't have enough, uh, they don't have enough continuity in in the lineup because it changes like every few days. They um, just don't have necessarily enough firepower. But I feel like over the last couple of weeks, he's doing what he can. I feel like there's there's really no way to sound say this without sounding like a jerk. I feel like this the offense is too predictable because they have to accommodate a guy like Hassan Whiteside and Carmelo Anthony. Because the, what they need to be effective is very, very simple. Um, and there's there hasn't been a lot of variation to what they do. Like Hassan, I hate comparing him to Nurkic because they're two totally different players. But like Nurk, when he catches on a roll, can shoot, he can continue driving, or he can pass. When Whiteside gets it, it's going up. And so it, it allows you to be a certain way, like defensively within your shell, how you, how you play those things. Um, when Carmelo gets the ball now on the wing, he's become a little bit more like Carmelo of old, where it's a little bit more isolation and defense is loaded up against him and less of the, the like five, three, five game stretch where we saw him moving the ball a little bit more effectively. And so again, I think it becomes more predictable. Um, and when you put Dame and CJ in situations where defenses are loading up behind it, even when those guys are being productive, like we saw from us on Whiteside against Denver, did it, I, I know it's going to sound weird to say this because he had 33 points, but did it really feel like he had 33 points? Let's, let's put it this way. It felt like he was doing everything he could. <sighs> See, I, I, I felt like he was, I, that, that's too, that's, a, that's a different question. I, I don't think that his, his, impact was felt as much as it should have been steve what do you think does that make sense well i i I, I struggle with it too dan i'm not trying to be like i'm not like arguing with you i'm struggling with you because when i when i watch Whiteside, like i want him to know that the team needs him to do some specific things and if he does them well they'll be in a better place but i'm just not convinced that he's doing those quite yet i'm sorry steve i interrupted you no, no, you're fine. I, I think as far as like the the nuts and bolts, as far as like some of the stuff he's doing differently and pick and rolls is like to start the year, he was slipping almost all the screens he was in. And now when he does, like it really messed with Jokic and getting Jokic in space when he did slip screens. So now like those are getting mixed in, which I, he's definitely more comfortable slipping screens than actually making screens. So like 
when he's doing that now it, it catches defenses off guard. And, but like Dan said, it's, he gets the ball and it's the short roll. It's stopping early. And it's that flip shot. Um, I, I think the Denver game was so weird because, you know, he goes scoreless in the second quarter and still ends up with 33 points. And like, there really was like a point in that third quarter where I, I had something I hadn't said all season where it's like, they needed to go to Whiteside more in that quarter, which I know is like, it's, it's very counterintuitive and you want Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum taking more shots, but like Denver is, has defenders built to guard Portland's backcourt now when they're healthy. And so yeah, I, I mean, just they felt like they could have, they could have because Whiteside was yeah. making them like, you know, I mean, it's like yeah. how many nights have the blaze have we sat and watched the blazers watch somebody on the other team who nobody had heard of until two weeks before, like go off for 35 points. And it felt like just, that was finally the blazers were doing it to somebody else. Yeah. And, and like, I, I completely agree with that. And, but I also just like the thing that is frustrating and Dan touched on it and I, I'm, a pretty harsh critic. So I might not be the best person to ask when it comes to white side, but like it is it, when you see the potential of what he can do, it makes you want it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just that even effort that just, and it's good. It has gotten better. It's gotten so much better in the last couple of weeks. And hopefully that continues, especially going into trade season. But like, I, I just really feel like, those mental vacations that sometimes occur, whether that's foul trouble or hunting blocks on a guy that's already guarded and leaving your man wide open in the dunker spot. Like that stuff's got to stop because Portland, like we've talked about and you guys have talked about is there's zero margin for error right now Mm -hmm. with this team. And so you just, you got to do those little things. Hassan, if you're listening, your team needs you. You can do this. I believe in you, buddy. That was just a little. That's between me and Hassan. Um, mm, okay. Real quick, what do you guys think about the uh, Whiteside LaBCA lineup? Do you, okay, I know it wasn't pretty. My question <sighs> is, do you think it could be useful down the road if it gets better? It was okay um, against the Knicks. <laughs> I mean, but then again, like, there's not much you can throw out there. It's not going to be okay against the Knicks. But again, like anything else, anytime you're integrating new players or players who literally hadn't played with each other before the game before, um, there's going to be some hesitation. But like when you're playing against a team like Denver and you don't have size, you need to manufacture ways to get size. And this is kind of what it goes back to the whole idea of like Portland needing guys like Torrey Craig and Josh Jackson and, and DJ Wilson, these 6'6", 6'8", 6'10", dudes um, who play the 3-4 um, because – Portland, if they take Whiteside off the floor, the only option they have is Scal. Like after that, it's six eight or smaller. And if we're talking about six eight, we're only talking about Tolliver and maybe Hazonia. After that, it's he gets real short. Well, <laughs> so that's what confuses me a little bit. We're going back to the trading stuff. If the Blazers trade away Hassan Whiteside, who's their center? That leaves Scal and, you know, Yusuf Nurkic when he comes back and who knows, you know, how game ready he's going to be. Like when the Blazers trade Hassan Whiteside, what are they going to do about the center position? Whoever they trade for is going to fill in that spot. Man, or they'll just get it. some like for some a power forward. But the Blazers will be like the next Knicks West and have like three or four power forwards. Pretty much. Yeah. Like here's the thing. Like if they're moving for somebody like. Kevin Love. Kevin Love he right now is currently okay. 11th in the league in rebounding. Mm-hmm. Like, if they went way outside the box and got, like, baby Sabonis, he's averaging 14 rebounds a game. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's certainly options that are out there that they could move for. Okay. Uh, so that's that, the kind of person that you're thinking. I mean, or last you, week or you, you were talking Harrison Barnes. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's more the Bazemore deal. If if the Bazemore deal got moved, um, it would be a guy like Harrison. Okay, sorry, Steve. What were you saying? Well, no, well, I think the the other thing, other possibility too, is I mean, Portland's made a point to keep a, an extra additional roster spot open, and you can always tack in, you know, another big man. Like teams usually carry, unless you're the Blazers, carry big men that can actually play basketball. So uh, deep on their bench. <laughs> so, so I mean, look, Pau Gasol is retired. So like t- 
teams use their 14th, 15th spot with big men that can play traditional minutes at the center position. So like getting an, another guy in a trade is not out of the question, especially when you have that additional roster spot. Um, as far as the scowl Hassan Whiteside pairing, like it, w- it was just appalling how bad the rebounding was on like they Denver had 15 offensive rebounds and it's just like you had two seven footers out there. I, I just don't understand how they weren't getting to those boards. And like, do you think they were Portland deferring was, to each other? They didn't have Carmelo out there yelling coming in for him himself or like I, I, I was really puzzled. I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. I and really, it's like Portland can't do that. Like when Portland's defense is actually getting stops, you cannot give the other team more chances. So I just I, I don't know. I mean, installing two turnstiles next to each other didn't prevent theft in New York subways. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best idea for Portland's front court. <laughs> OK, I got one more uh, question about the basketball I'm seeing. Um Kev Bazemore inserted into the starting lineup now for Rodney Hood. Uh, you know, Kent Bazemore was used to being a starter in Atlanta, so this isn't like new ter- for territory for him by any means. I saw him run some plays that looked familiar to me, that looked a little bit like Mo Harkless things that he used to do. I was wondering if you guys saw something similar. They're trying to be a, a bit inventive with some things that they run on backdoor cuts, things of that nature. Um, because of Bazemore's ability to knock down corner threes, he's going to be in a lot of the same situations that Harkless was in. Mm-hmm. As far as like where he's going to get the ball and where the shot opportunities are going to come from. And so those, those baseline cuts, the catch and shoot threes in the corner, um, the attacks on the closeouts in the corner, those are all going to be things that are going to be there for him. Um, the flip side of it is like how good has Bazemore really been as a starter? I think is a bit more mixed than anything else. Um, I don't know. What was, what, what have you taken away from so far, Steve? I mean, zero three pointers in his last two games and really the floor spacing just hasn't, hasn't quite translated. Now I, Nate had an excellent article this last week about, you know, in theory, putting Bazemore in more catch and suit catch and shoot situations is is a winning proposition for him because the pull-up game hasn't really been there for him this year. Mm-hmm. And and really it's just integrating him into those spots. Defensively, I think he he can do a lot. He's undersized, so I compared to where Harkless was. So I think he gets it's a little more physically taxing and, and can wear him down a little bit, I think. But offensively i think it's just getting in that rhythm and i think he can thrive in that like you're saying he's he's doing the baseline cuts he's he can attack guys from the corner and that's just what he's got to do but really i mean it's still there's portland has had to experiment with so many different lineups this year it's going to take a while for it to to start making sense and start working and here's the thing like uh, and this isn't me being like Demi, debbie downer i saw somebody say the other day and it's like I'm not being a downer and saying um, things aren't going well. That's that's what's happening out on the floor. And the likelihood of those lineups somehow coming together over a period of time and be, just magically becoming better aren't all that great. And they may not come together. And that's I think that's kind of the, the, the situation that, that Portland finds themselves in and why these deals that we're looking at, these tertiary deals, the bigger deals um, – these improvements from Whiteside, Mello playing better, how it really hasn't added up to much difference. And it's it's not likely to add up to much difference until Portland gets healthy and gets the reinforcements that they need uh, coming via the, the, the trade deadline. You got to think that they are in a point where they want to at least be able to win the ones they should. And like, this week is the perfect opportunity for them to show that they're there, whether or not they can do it. I don't know. Cause like you said, they've been dealing with so much, but coming up, they have feet. I, I want to ask you that. Over. Yeah, go ahead. You know, no, no, that, this is perfect. Like, I, I want to ask you this. This is, we're going to obviously going to, this is going to post before the Phoenix game. They've got Phoenix, Golden State, Orlando, Minnesota, New Orleans. They're going to come home off of this Phoenix game and they're going to have four at home. Of these five games, legitimately, how many do you think that Portland in their head are thinking that they can win? Well, they're thinking that they can win five of them. I mean, those guys don't ever think that there's not a game that they couldn't win. 
Okay, you know so that's, what, do you, that's, what did you really want to ask? <laughs> <laughs> From the outside looking in, how many of these games do you think that they they could realistically not not you know well something could go right and then, no I, realistically how many of these five games should they win? I would say I would like them to win. Well, I I also think they could win all five of them. I think See, that's what I'm talking they, about your blind optimism. I, God, I, I damn think it. They should win three of them at least. Which three? Golden State's the given. What what are the other two? Oh, now you're talking about the most likely scenario, and you know I don't go into the most likely scenario. I'm just saying three that's, of five. That's why I framed it that way. <laughs> I'm just saying three of five. Because here's the thing. Ask Steve. I, Outside of the Warriors game, I defer game, to Steve. Like outside of the Warriors game, they, I don't think they'll be favored. I, I, I'm looking at this. I don't think they'll be favored against Orlando. What about New Orleans, they'll be favored over New Orleans. Yeah, you're right. New Orleans, they will be favored against. Well, Minnesota's in a tailspin right now. Yeah, what happened to Minnesota? They started off so good. No, you're you 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 went like full Minnesota there for a split I second. I know. Though. So hold on. I know. Poor Jake. <laughs> it's because Jake hurt his toe. Oh my god, you do that too well. <laughs> if I hear a wood if I hear a wood chipper going in the background, I'm so concerned. <laughs> well we should wrap this up soon then. Oh man. Like I I don't know how well they'll get through this. Now they certainly need it and they certainly would take it, but I don't know if they, their, their style and consistency and level of play is deserving of anything more than two. I think they very well could win all five. I think if they win one, that's really, really, really bad. If they win two, it's like, ugh. if they win three, it's like, okay, I can live with that. That's kind of how I feel. That's the crazy thing is if you look at this, if they win three of two or three of five, they're going to pick up a game. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, I was doing the math the other day and to, uh, for everything that I, I can gather, the, the eight seeds probably going to be anywhere from like high 37 to low 39 wins. Um, and for Portland to get to 39 wins, they need to win 29 of 56. That's uh, that's a significantly better winning percentage than anything that they've been able to demonstrate thus far. Mm-hmm. Well, they've got a they've got a, a tough road to, to hoe. Is that how you say it, uh, Steve? What do you think of those five <laughs> games: Phoenix, Golden State, Orlando, Minnesota, and New Orleans? How many of them do you think they will win? I think a, a couple days off being in Phoenix. I, I think. That that's the one I really worry about, but I think I mean Golden State's a gimme. Orlando is going through a few issues. I I, I think three sounds right. I mean New Orleans is. I mean I feel bad for those guys. I mean we watch a lot of summer league games with those guys, and watching the optimism you know decrease so much has, has been wild to watch because all I mean they worship the ground David Griffin walked on, and now it's like that relationship is already souring. I know. I got sucked so. into all their optimism. Yeah. yeah well, let's put your faith in Lonzo ball. And that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, I think three. Still, I'm thinking three. You're three would be my guess. Three. As far as the rest of the year goes, I think like we're getting to this point where it's like, and Dame's talked about it is like, this is a team that has been in the hole. Like they've never, I wrote an article about this a couple of weeks ago, but they've never quite been in a hole like this with Stotts and Lillard. And it's going to be, it's going to be dicey. And I mean, it, this is not a team that, I mean, unless Yusuf Nurkic hits the ground running after being out for a year, it's going to be, they're going to, it's such a uphill climb, especially in the back part, back half of the season. I would just like the, the changes to stop for a while. And uh, I mean, that's injury basically. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that that's really out of my control, but I just think that they haven't had a chance to like get themselves, get themselves squared away to understand really who they are yet. And I just hope that they have a little bit of a t- chance for that to happen. As, as someone who's no, go ahead, too. as someone who's built, trying to build a draft board <laughs> for guys I need to write profiles on. Uh, this is going to be 
the craziest year for me because it's like I am not where I thought I was going to be in the summer, obviously. And now it's like, I don't know. You don't know where it's, the Blazers are going to be. Either. Yeah, I don't yeah. know where the Blazers are going to be. And it's just they could be realistically. Well, I mean, they could be picking between four and 16 right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. So like, it, it's so volatile. And of course, the, the year that the likelihood of them, you know, quote unquote tanking, or as I called it the other day, retreating mm-hmm. um, is likely is the year that there's like two wings in the entire draft. So it's uh, it's a little frustrating to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we shall see. But guys, my laptop is just about ready to go. So we're <laughs> going to have to wrap it up here. All right. Any, any last words of uh, wisdom before we sign off? So if you were I looking just... for wisdom, you had the wrong guest. <laughs> 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 wrong podcast. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Honestly, I just want this thing to be decided one way or the other. And we've we've gotten like the first messaging from the organization um, that they may well not tank. They may not be chasing anything this season. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the first step. Like it sounds terribly like there are steps to you know uh, you know the grieving process here. And I think that the organization is going through them and whether they make a deal in the next week that somehow gets them the eighth, seventh seed and they're a sacrificial lamb to the Lakers or Clippers, whatever. But if they're, if they're not going to do that and they're going to wait it out to the deadline and just start focusing on development and those kind of things, let's just, let's just get that started. Cause I think there's only so many different ways every single night after a game, I can say this, this team sucks. And I don't, <laughs> I, I don't like doing that. I genuinely don't. Like, but if you, if the messaging changes to, you know, this season isn't what we're focusing on right now. It's, 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 it's the future. Then I, it's very easy for, for all of us to Why go. Why are you waiting for them to say it? Why can't you just decide that's what you think is happening? The, because it has to be said. The, the, every organization has to say it. Otherwise, you're going to get the pushback from it. Like the Warriors well, came you, out. So. You could say you're not going to push back and you're just going to. Watch and see what happens. I'm just very curious about why you think that they, what does it have to do with you that they need to say it? Can't you see what's happening? Certainly, but there's certain, there's, there's, there's ways that these things will be, will be pushed back against. By whom? I think just for, just for like a, a stat standpoint, it, it would be, I think it'd be beneficial for the organization to at least kind of say, Hey, we're targeting development and staying healthy and gearing up for next year. Like that, that tactful receipt uh, retreat that Dan talked about. Right. Like, okay. Because I, cause I think that takes heat off Terry Stotts because right now, if you're, if the it's, you know, all systems go, we're trying to win right now and you continually start losing, that's when the temperature starts getting heated up on coaches. And if you, if you make a different message, that's how guys like Brett Brown and Kenny Atkinson last a long time through losing streaks is because yes, that's the, a perfect example. The organization has excused the losses uh, and like, okay. and that's, and that's something I think that's the main reason I want to hear the organization kind of say something like that because it's all, it all comes down to Terry Stotts for me and that and just keeping the integrity and just making sure Portland knows, you know, and the fans know and the league knows that that's their, still their guy. And this is not, you know. This isn't trying to come pill for our coach. Exactly. Yeah. I see. I, I, I get that. I, I guess I was looking at it from the point of like, I see what's happening. But when you're talking about. Um, looking at the bigger picture in terms of like, yeah, like the coach and the organization. It's I internal versus external messaging. Right. Like what, what, like what signals you're putting out to people? Because I don't want anything to happen to Terry Stotts. That's for sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I will defend that. That so. is for sure. Okay. Well, I think let's go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, Steve, why don't you tell people like got anything you're working on you want to share, or I guess you got your draft board. Yeah, my, my it's it's a large draft board. Um, <laughs> Any teams that draft, we should be watching now that the college season is kicking up? Uh, the guys I'm watching aren't necessarily playing domestically, so oh, I, I'm. You want to be watching Australian guys and or guys playing in the Australian league, and then mm-hmm. guys playing in Euro League specifically in Israel. So, um, those are, those are the guys I'm watching, but I, I'll start narrowing that down, but I, I would expect that I will 
continue to kind of look at some of like what interests me now is a lot like the article we saw for me that came out yesterday is on Saturday is kind of just looking at those little moves that Olshay likes to make that really interest me where you can take, you know, find a diamond in the rough. And that's, that's what I really am focused on right now, but you can find me on Twitter at Steve D hoops, my features every Saturday. And I'm usually popping in and out of there when something comes up. All right. How about you, Dan? Uh, as always, you can find me on social media at Danny Morang. Uh, and after every game with Joe Simons and myself on NBC Sports Northwest, uh, that we still got a few more games of the Rialto. Uh, I believe the 26th is our last night there. So if you want to come down and catch a, catch a game uh, with Joe and I, we've had plenty of people come down. We've had plenty of intoxicated people walk through the set. Please don't do that anymore. Um, that's not okay. <laughs> I just like walk right in front of you while the show. Oh goes. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 the first time is funny. The second time is like okay. The third time you're like I'm gonna no no you need to go. They have like a big uh, spotlight on you. Uh, we we do, but there people that still doesn't work. <laughs> no, there's 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 alcohol in in abundance. So the patrons know. of the Rialto are much like moths. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Um, but it has been a blast, um, uh, as it was last year. We love going out there. The owner takes good care of us and, uh, it's awesome to have people just come up, just like start talking hoop with us. So if you want to catch a game, uh, Joe and I will, will be there every game between now and the 26th, I believe is our last night. So that's all I got. Why don't you take us out of here, Tara? All right. Well, you can find Blazers Edge at Blazers Edge on Twitter. You can follow the Blazers Edge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me at TCB Biggs. You can find the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks. The next Women's Hoops and Talks meetup is going to be on January 5th. We're going to get together and watch the Blazers take on Miami. That should be fun to see how Myers Leonard is doing, Mr. Ultra Miami. Um that ought to do it for me. I think I said my handle already, TCB Biggs, Blazer's Edge, all that good stuff. We will uh, talk to you all later. Bye.